listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali. And I'm Jonathan Keel. And this is our first rodeo, so to speak, and just bear with us as we figure out what we're doing. Um, but as with all good things, we want to um, start out with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just ask you to come and uh, be with us as we um, talk about you and talk about um, your word, your word present in our brothers and sisters among us living here in the world. Um, and we just ask you to uh, guide our conversation and bless us as we, um, as we plumb the depths of our understanding of you. And um, we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, by way of uh, brief introduction, uh, again, as I said, my name is Matt Spazali. Um, I, along with uh, Jonathan, we are both full-time missionaries with Family Missions Company. Um, and if you're hearing this podcast, there's probably a link to our website somewhere associated uh, with wherever you found the podcast. So. Um, I would direct you there for more information uh, about what we do, preaching the gospel and serving the poor throughout the world. Um, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm I'm 34 years old and I'm a single man from uh, South Louisiana. Um, and Jonathan and uh, <laughs> my name's Jonathan Keel. I'm also a family missions missionary. Uh, I'm 39. I'm married to my wife, Teresa, and we have uh, six children. And um, I'm from California, but currently we're living, well, we've been living all over the world, to be honest, but uh, currently we're living here in Louisiana for a time. I'm very blessed to be here today. So we, as uh, today is the, as uh the day after Ash Wednesday, we thought that this podcast would be a good opportunity to focus on Lent, um, the liturgical mm-hmm. season that we're in. And uh, we started off with looking at Pope Francis's uh, Lenten message for this year. So, uh, Jonathan, if you want to take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um I thought it would be kind of a, a great place to start off this podcast by building upon the message of uh, His Holiness Pope Francis for Lent, um, and so what we're gonna what we plan on doing is kind of just giving you a rundown on what this message is. Uh, it's a beautiful message entitled "The Word is a Gift; Other Persons Are a Gift," and it's got three subsections, which we would like to just spend some time on each one of those. Um, and they're titled, The Other Person is a Gift. So 
So we'd just like to talk about what does that mean for Pope Francis, and uh, we'll hopefully expand on some of those, bringing in um, other teachings of the church. And then also, the second subsection is that sin blinds us. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, how that happens. Um, and then finally, the word is a gift, which is a section, you might say, speaking about the antidote for the sin that blinds us. And so um, the message that really is based upon um, a call to others. And I, I just I thought it was interesting um, in, in the, one of the very first messages of Paul the Blessed Paul VI for Lent in 1973, um, he wrote, Lent is a time of self-denial and penance, but it's also a time of fellowship and solidarity. And I think it was something that Pope Francis called us to last year um, in the year of mercy. But one important aspect of Lent that sometimes gets um, sidelined is Lent is a time of fellowship and solidarity. So, it's a time for us not simply to deny ourselves and it in there, but that it's something that we're called to reach out and that through our self-denial, it should bring us closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and so that's something that we're going to discuss today uh, in this message of His Holiness Pope Francis. Um, well, okay, so let's, let's... Let's dive in. Okay, uh, well then... The, what's interesting is as Pope Francis starts off and he says that Lent is a new beginning, a path leading to a certain goal of Easter, Christ's victory over death. Then he says the season urgently calls us to conversion. Um, and this is something I really want to focus on as, during this talk today is that the idea of conversion that we're often given in uh, at least as, as I've been raised in Christian um, groups and uh, in the Catholic Church as well. Um, I'm a convert, by the way, so um, that for another time. But one of the things is that it's, conversion is seen as a turning from sin to God. And, and although uh, in no way is that, uh, do I want to um, correct that, I will say that um, there's a kind of an, a mediary between us and God, and that is what we're going to be seeing is Jesus Christ present in our neighbor. Um, in First John four eight, which I'd like to just uh, read as kind of a starting place. But in First John chapter four, he says. Um, Okay, uh, sorry, not 4.8, um, talking about 4.20. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, we, we see a connection where our way of loving God becomes our love of another person, the one that we can actually encounter um, physically. And so Pope Francis uh, wants to, to discuss this idea using the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. 
Um, and he says that this provides a key to understanding what we need to do in order to attain true happiness and eternal life. And it's all based on sincere conversion. So um, we'll jump right into this idea of the other person as a gift. Um, you know, sometimes when we read the story of the rich man Lazarus, are you familiar with this story? Do you want to? I can well <laughs> give a brief yeah, uh, synopsis and then you, you can fill a, in any... a basic idea of the story. Right. So um, Lazarus is the is the poor man who is sitting. Uh, Jesus is telling this this story, and uh, Lazarus sits outside of the gates of the or the doors of the home of the rich man. And Lazarus uh, is begging for scraps from his table, just anything. Uh, and the rich man doesn't give anything. We're, we're told that the rich man wears purple garments and just uh, shows his wealth every day, is very um, ostentatious about uh letting everybody know um, that he's a rich man. And then um, that's sort of a, we have a brief, just a brief little thing. And then most of what happens takes place in the afterlife. The uh, rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus both die. And um, the rich man is then talking, they see, Jesus says they're carried away to the bosom of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Jesus is, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, the rich man is speaking with Abraham, um, pleading for a, I think he said a drop of water or mm -hmm, something like mm -hmm. that. And, yeah. um, the thing that, that he himself wouldn't give Lazarus on earth. And Abraham says, uh, Lazarus is enjoying good things here in the afterlife while you are in torment because you enjoyed good things, uh, on earth. And, Lazarus, uh, I'm sorry, the rich man says, well, can, can I go back or can, can you send someone to tell my brothers back home to, you know, uh, to change their ways? And Abraham says, if they wouldn't listen to the prophets, um, then they're not going to listen to anyone mm -hmm. coming back. And, um, I guess that's <laughs> that's about it. Or no, that's, any that's, that's other... great. Um, you know, so interesting. The word Lazarus uh, means God helps, and so kind of to take our starting place as we're thinking about this story, uh, Pope Francis calls us to just the person of Lazarus, um, and I, I thought it was really interesting if we think of. Lazarus, as a, this word God helps, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really profound meaning in just his name within the story. Um, many scholars have noted that the fact that Lazarus even has a name within a parable uh, is it's, it's not a normal thing. Usually, though, in a parable, no one's name is given. So um, it's just an interesting difference. You have this rich man. Um, who sometimes is called Debes, which means rich or rich person in Latin, literally just means rich. Um, and then you have Lazarus, this God helps. And, and as a, you know, I've read this story many times. The first few times I read it, 
I kind of thought it was almost ironic that um, Lazarus has this name that means God helps, but he doesn't seem to be helped by God. And I've come to the to the realization that I think what the, the what the parable is actually teaching us is not that God his name is not God helps in the sense of God helps simply Lazarus, but that Lazarus is God's gift and is his means of helping this rich man. And that's the teaching that Pope Francis wants us Mm -hmm. to get. He says that Lazarus teaches us that other persons are a gift. A right relationship with people consists in gratefully recognizing their value. Even the poor person at the door of the rich is not a nuisance, but a summons to conversion and to change. The parable first invites us to open the doors of our hearts to others because each person is a gift. And the reason for this is that they carry the face of Christ. And we've heard uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Teresa of Calcutta, say similar type of things, uh, Dorothy Day certainly, uh, of recognizing in the poor and in just other people uh, the face of Christ. And this is all based upon um, a teaching from Matthew 25, uh, where in Matthew 25 we have uh, this another type of parable that Jesus gives where um, it's this final judgment. And at the final judgment, the sheep are separated from the goats. And we find Jesus, first off, uh, lifting up the the sheep uh, and, and praising them for all that they did to him, um, that they gave him food when he was hungry and drink when he was thirsty, etc. And they, they don't even recognize, they don't even realize they did that. And they ask, when did we see you? And then he says, as you did it to, the, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Uh, and we see this identification of Jesus with the other. Um, and then he says something similar to the, to the goat, where he says, he, he basically gets on to them for not helping. And they ask a similar question, when did we ever see you? And he says, I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least, so you did it not to me. And so Jesus himself identifies first off with uh, our neighbor, you could say, that Jesus himself in our lives becomes the the man fallen by the road and we're called to be the good samaritan we're called to um to seek after those who are poor those who are injured those who are lost and to bring them love and bring them the love of jesus so this um this idea of another person is a gift uh i would say becomes a, a crucial message for our Lenten, um, for this Lent of 2017. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting, and, and uh, I'm glad that our Holy Father has um, uh, written something to flesh out that perspective, because I I think in the story of, the, of Lazarus and the rich man, when I've read it before, I've I guess I've never really given it a whole lot of thought. It seems it seems very plain and simple. Oh, we got we need to be 
uh, generous to the poor when we're on earth. Uh, that's something that we need to do. Um, but how do we, you know, you, you maybe hear that, but how do we actually go about doing it? And a way to go about doing that is to change our attitude about other people, to change our attitude about other people. Mm. And so, like, Lazarus was a gift to the rich man to encounter Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a gift, a gift for him to encounter the Word of God and and follow it and... Um, and he didn't do that, and, and we don't do that. So often we look at other people as burdens, as inconveniences, as nuisances, uh, as the word that uh, we have here from Pope Francis. And um, it's, I think that that's a fundamental shift that we have to beg God to give us, uh, to not see charity as an inconvenience, mm. but charity, you know, our, our call to charity and giving and being charitable is, and having opportunities to be charitable. Those are gifts from God for us to encounter him. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of seeing, you know, seeing it as just like this chore that I have to do mm-hmm. instead of seeing it as, uh, Oh God has given me this great gift to to meet him. Uh, that's that's hard. That's it's yeah. hard to see that. And the poor aren't um glamorous. You know, it's this is ugly, smelly, uh difficult work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the church has always taught that in a special way Jesus Christ is present in the poor. And it's fascinating when you think of, you know, we've all heard Jesus saying he would be with us until the end of time. You know, he, he says that in sacred scripture. Um, and we Catholics tend to think of that mainly referring to the Eucharist. So, and, and but it's interesting because we should also remember that Jesus promises us uh not only that he would be with us until the end of time, but there there seems to be a connection with his other promise, which says, the poor you will always have. Um, and I read this fascinating quote from Father um, Regame, uh, who was a, uh, a Dominican priest, um, uh, I believe in France, um, at least in the 1940s. And he said, Why shall the poor be always with us? This at least we can see, that with Jesus gone, the poor remain, that we may do them good. And the good we do them has the same value as the pouring of the precious ointment upon Jesus' head. He says, The poor keep our Lord present on earth for us to serve. Without them, we should not know how to put our devotion to him in practice. And it is by giving or refusing of this devotion that we are saved or damned. So this idea that um, when we can see the face of Jesus in others, especially in the poor or in those most unlovable, serving them becomes not simply service, but it becomes devotion. And I think that's one of the first ways... Uh, in Lent, uh, Pope Francis wants to call us to devotion 
a deeper devotion, a more fervent devotion, but not through simply giving up chocolate or giving up um, some type of personal life, or, and not simply in the sense of, well, I'm going to go to Mass every day. Um, those are all things that, again, it's easy to stay within. It's easy to stay <clears throat> focused on self. He instead wants to call us to a devotion to meet Jesus in our neighbor, to meet Jesus in the poor, uh, which he actually calls a gift. Yeah, I, and um, before we, we move on to anything else, I wanted to uh, maybe make an aside. The, the passage that you just read from um, that priest, what was his name? Re- Father Regame. Father Regame. Um, it, uh, again, uh, it's... That's fascinating. I've always kind of seen that episode in the Gospels where Jesus says, "The poor you will always have with you." I'm, you know, I'm here for a short time, basically, or something. Um, it feels like a like he's saying a diss against the poor, sort of like, "Look, you're going to have them all all the time. Don't worry about them." But in light of Jesus' promise to always be with us, that takes on a different tone. And, you know, obviously I wouldn't imagine that Jesus was uh, trying to be negative about the poor. And this, so this sort of makes that statement make more sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is like, that's, it's, it's in continuity with his promise that he will always be with us. Um, yes, and... And the poor will always be with us. Praise God. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, we could even add to that and say that, you know, it's not simply that Jesus is saying there will always be poor people in the world. That's that's not actually what he says. He says, you will always have the poor with you. <laughs> and I think uh, we can ask ourselves, if we're true followers of Jesus... Are the poor with us? I think it's a, a really important question. Do I even have a poor friend? Do I even know? Have I entered the lives of the poor? Do the people I know simply exist in the middle class or in the comfortable, um, you know, better classes of society? Do I know poor people? Yeah. Are they with me? Are they present in my life? Because the story of Lazarus is a story that teaches us that the poor are to be encountered because, not simply of our our way of being able to help them, but because they are God's gift to us to relieve us, to call us to Him and to call us to conversion, which we'll touch on more of that idea um, as we continue on um, with this podcast. But... I think it's important that we well, that we are reminded of the fact that Jesus is present to us in the poor. There's always will be poor people, but that Jesus characterizes his followers as those who have the poor with them. Um anyway, so we, yeah. we as we continue with the idea of the person as a gift, Pope Francis also says that they are a summons that a, another person, our neighbors, are a summons to conversion. And I think you know, when you usually think of conversion, 
the idea is really a turning around and um, there's this, you know, um, common model that I've heard um, of this turning around idea where uh, we're turning away from sin into God. And, and although that's true, certainly, uh, and we tend to think of it simply as kind of an in, internal thing that happens in your heart where you turn from your, your selfish desires and you turn to wanting to live a, um, a godly life. But it also could be understood as a turning away from ourselves to our brother, whom we could actually see. Uh, I think of this beautiful verse from Sirach 4, chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Do not avert your eye from the needy, nor give a man occasion to curse you. Um, this idea of averting our eyes, uh, you know, just to give you a personal confession uh last month i went with my wife Teresa's our anniversary we went down to new orleans and you know if you pull off anywhere downtown there's just homeless people all over the place uh and i remember we we were hoping to hit to not be stopped at a red light because it's just a yeah. little bit uncomfortable we didn't have any cash on us and we didn't think we would be believed if we said that um, but we, of course, got stopped at a red light, and I remember how awkward it was because we were right at the front of the traffic line, and there was two people, one on each side of us, just looking at us with a sign. And what we did, and I remember we just kind of being, kind of feeling a little bit uh, ashamed of myself later, but we just kind of tried to look straight ahead. Um, we averted our eyes from the poor, and I thought... You know, I could think of many times in my life where not, when I've had to do that, um, not really had to, but I've chosen to do that. Yeah. And yet, so often, um, the idea of the I uh, becomes an idea of being present. And so I think of in Numbers, um, when when God gives... Uh, the the formula to the priests on how they are to bless the people, um, he what they actually say is, um, I don't have it with me uh, present, but he says, um, part of that that we've heard is that you will let let your face shine upon us mm -hmm. or shine upon them. Um, and I, I apologize that I didn't have this particular passage uh, ready, but when they're... They, Is it the, may, may the Lord bless you and keep you? Exactly. May he let his light, his face shine upon his you. His face shine upon you um, is the passage. And this idea of the face in Hebrew and in Hebrew culture uh, represents presence. So... Oftentimes, if you wanted to say he was in the presence of the Lord, uh, you would say he's in the face of the Lord. It's, I heard um, Timothy Gray gave a great, um, a great talk on this. I, I heard just recently. But so this idea of a summons to conversion, a summons to turn around, is actually a summons to turn from ourselves to our neighbor. And in our neighbor, we encounter God. And that's why our neighbor becomes a Lazarus, a God helps to us. Um, 
it's just really fascinating because, you know, so often with the poor, like wealth is a trap. Um, like the rich man, we, we, most of us seek wealth. Uh, and this is something in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even says, even the pagans seek wealth. Uh, but then as we get wealth, we need to spend more wealth to protect the wealth that we have. Um, I think of the, the rich fool um, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we have this rich fool who has a great harvest, and instead of wanting to share that with uh, his community, he has more than he needs already. He decides to tear down his barns and build larger ones. Uh, we see that wealth oftentimes is a trap like that. The poor help us to get back what's truly important. It calls us to more trust. It calls us, uh, you know, Timothy Gray, again, one of the things he said was so brilliant in his message was the number one reason people don't give more is the fear they have that they won't have enough tomorrow. You know, uh, if I give of my of my substance, not just I have this extra change, but if I give of my substance to my neighbor, then I'm not going to have enough. Then and and Jesus addresses this in the Sermon of the Mount as well, when he says, you know, do not worry about tomorrow. Um, he's talking about worrying in the context of generosity. That um, as we look at others, he talks about the eye right before that. As we look at others. Um, and are called to reach out to them, we need to trust that our Lord, who has sent that person into our lives, will also care for us and give us all that we need. We don't need to um, to worry about that, because he, that's something that um, Jesus says even the pagans worry about. Yeah, it's, I think it's, in, it's uh, important to... Uh, or the way that this is sticking out to me... Um, is how fundamental this is to just being a Christian. And if we like, if we analyze our response to the poor or analyze our response to charity, as you're saying, you know, like, oh, I'm worried if I give that I won't have something. This is the basic uh, idea of being a follower of Christ and of loving God. We talk about trusting in the Lord and it's so hard for us I think in the United States to understand trust. Uh, those of us who have many of our needs met to, to understand that God will actually provide for us or to believe that um, it's, it's very difficult, but it, we, this isn't a an outlier in the gospel. It's a central aspect mm -hmm. of, of yeah, us amen. relying on God. And so if we, you know, if I could truly believe that, then why would I be storing my grain up in a bin, you know? Um, especially with the intent as it is in that the gospel where his intent is to sit back and relax and, uh, kind of scoff at his neighbors who don't have as much. Um, whereas if we're trusting in God's providence, then of course 
we will want to share mm-hmm. with with the people that are mm-hmm. around us, and we were not worried about about what comes next. Um, it's very simple, but very hard. Yeah, and you know the the real conversion that God calls us to, uh, uh, and this isn't just Pope Francis. It actually, as you go through the messages that the um, popes have sent for Lent all the way back to 1973, um, you will find that it's this common idea that the real conversion comes when we turn from ourselves and turn to the face of Jesus found in others. So, you know, again, this idea of the face as the presence, when we turn our face, when we're called to turn our face to the poor, to not turn away our eye from the poor, it's also a call to be present to the poor. Not simply to give from afar, to watch a commercial and say, I feel bad. Not even to empathize. Empathy does nothing. You know, sometimes we um, we can fall into the trap of thinking that because we feel bad about what's happening to another person, that somehow we've done enough. There's kind of a... Um, um, a deceptive illusion of goodness that that comes because we simply feel bad for a person, and then we feel good that we felt bad, and then we feel like we've done enough. Yeah, and uh, I know I felt that, and I know Definitely. other people I've talked to have. But I think Pope, you know, Paul the Sixth in his Lenten message in 1973, uh, Blessed Paul the Sixth mentions it's just so wonderful. He he talks about this time of fellowship and solidarity, and he mentions a passage from Isaiah 58. Um, which Pope Francis also talked about in his papal bull um, for the year of mercy. And he says this, uh, the, the verse says, This rather is the fasting that I wish God himself is speaking, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. So again, fasting for... Um, fasting, when we start to, when we begin to talk about, uh, Lent should begin with this idea of giving up in order to give. So really when we talk about giving up, we should be focused more on the giving than on the, I'm not going to eat this or that. You know, one of the things our family is doing this year is all the things we give up. We're going to try to calculate how much that would cost us and just how much money we're saving not doing whatever we're doing and giving that to um, the poor. And so making, therefore, our, you know, giving up, not just end with ourselves, but also build a bridge to the other. (laughs) And this is the true fasting of Lent. This is... um, a sacri- that sacrifice and penance leads us to fellowship and solidarity. It's really fascinating because, um, you know, as the Israelites and the, then later the Jews, so after the kingdom of Israel is destroyed and you're left with the kingdom of, um, of Judea, after the fall of Judea in 587, um, the, Israel, the, um, the, the Jewish people go into exile and there's no more temple. The temple's been destroyed. And they need to find new ways to 
to make sacrifice for sin. And what we discover in uh, the later books of the Old uh, Testament is that take, what takes the place of the sacrifice at the altar becomes almsgiving. And almsgiving, uh, certainly in the early church, was the, one of the primary means of, um, of making amends for sins. And I think uh, you see that especially in St. Cyprian um, in his, one of his teachings on almsgiving. But, but certainly in the book of Maccabees and the book of Tobit, you find this idea of almsgiving um, taking the place of uh, the temple sacrifice, which uh, can even happen anymore. Yeah, and this is, uh, <laughs> I hope I'm not taking us in, in a completely different direction, but I, um, reflecting on some of the things we've been talking about, about, uh, about the poor um, and them, uh, you know, us finding them inconvenient, um, you know, uh, not not to pick on you, but you brought it up yourself, you know, as the as you're stopped at a red light, going to dinner with your wife, you want to keep looking straight ahead because, um, you, you know, you're not going to uh, probably go someplace and hang out with these uh, people who are begging, but even taking the time to roll the window down and, and engage them, you don't have any money to give them, which would actually be more convenient for you, you would you'd have, you'd feel like you need to talk to them or something. And then every, you got everybody behind you blowing their horns, probably. Um, and may, maybe that is one reason that it would be... What, what would be better? I guess maybe pull up and pull to the side and talk to them. And, and it's something... I'm uh, very guilty of is driving around or or being in a store or something and being focused on what I'm there to do and anything else you know anything else that happens I would generally consider that a distraction and a you know or even a waste of time this is you you're being um uh, irresponsible if you get sidetracked but there, there's um, one of my missionary brothers is very good at at doing this about encountering people in every situation that he goes into I and mean, that's just something I'm not as good at but he um, and I don't I'm not sure if I should say his name on here or not but uh we we don't have we don't have any rules yet for this podcast. I don't know. I'll I'll refrain, and then if the Lord tells me as I'm speaking to say it, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll just say it. His name is Thomas Ogus, and he is a great missionary. He's so good at finding. Like we were at uh, Mardi Gras in Iota which is, that's a whole nother story. And if you're not from Louisiana, you probably think that's insane. Uh, and it, it is, but it's kind of another country down here. Um, but we were just walking around and he, 
there's it's, we're in a huge crowd of people like and that's the only point of in a sense being there is like mm-hmm. you're gathering with other people and yet my general reaction in a crowd of people is to kind of just stand back and watch and that's part of I guess just part of who I am but he he's always going out and seeking people and so he started talking to these uh, guys and ended up getting their phone number and is gonna try to hang out with them and like it's really and they I don't know how poor they were they're immigrants uh, from Mexico and I guess they probably you would imagine they are pretty poor and he got their phone numbers and he's gonna be in contact with them and you know we might say well what's the point of so that's no no big deal well the the big deal is that he recognized their humanity and he recognized their value as people and just by engaging someone you know and i think that's another thing that we can sort of take comfort in is that we don't have to act like we need or we don't have to have all kinds of things to give to the poor um just the the simple gift of our time and our attention because how many people look these people in the eye throughout the day to never make that eye contact with Mm -hmm. other people during the day is this amazing isolation um that they experience and that's we can alleviate that so simply just by looking them in the eye and saying hello and uh, if you've got, you know, making the time to listen to their story. That's one thing that, you know, I'm generally uncomfortable doing it because I feel I want to, and I think as men, we might have that that uh, inclination is to, well, what can I do for the person? If I can't pull him out of his situation, if I can't solve the years and years of whatever's led him here, then what's the point? Um, we, I need to continually pull myself out of that attitude and say the point is that this is Jesus this is Jesus Christ and I need to talk to them mm-hmm. just talk to them and see where it goes and um, you know the, Thomas is really good at that and just finding opportunities to make connections and as Pope Francis has mentioned make real friends with the poor and it's not meant, you know, that's not meant in a metaphorical friendship sense. Our friendship will probably look different than our other friendships, but to actually attempt to make friends with poor people we know, um, that's that's a challenge. And, and it's going to mean we get mixed up in their world. Um, we get mixed up in a world that is not um, a gated community that we live in, a world that's not um, just one socioeconomic strata that we, uh, where we can close our, you know, put the blinders on, close our, um, the periphery. Uh, that's interesting because Pope Francis is always talking about the periphery, our peripheral vision. You know, who would be in our peripheral vision? Um, you know, we to look at those people. Um, it's a it ch- it's going to challenge us, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. 
I think what we all see, we look, we look at the poor person on the street. We look at, um, the person behaving in some odd way in the store or something. We look at them and that's, it's uncomfortable. I don't know how to deal with that person. Um, and it challenges us to come out of ourselves, to not be looking inward, not be, um, focusing so much on our interior pain and struggles calls us out of ourselves and uh, requires a change and you know it's what is, I don't know it's such a fascinating dynamic that the Lord has set up for us um, to that we abs we need the poor to show for our own happiness, in mm-hmm. a sense, mm-hmm. we need them so that we can understand our own poverty, our own mm-hmm. um, need for God, and um, I think it kind of leads into this next point that Pope Francis makes about sin, how sin blinds us, um, our and you know it's uncomfortable to talk about. But as uh, St. Paul tells us in Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evils. Like, wow. And, you know, we've, I guess we've heard that before too, but um, our, it's our, our wealth blinds us to other people and, and to our need for God. Yeah, you know, I, you know, one of my favorite chapters in all of sacred scripture is Tobit, chapter 4. And um, in this chapter, Tobit, uh, he's basically giving advice to his son, Tobias. And he says, do not turn your face away from any poor man. And the face of God will not be turned away from you. If you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. So again, this idea of the fear that comes through giving. But even if we don't have a lot, um, to be present with the poor, to give and not be afraid that God will um, allow us somehow to go without. Like God um, blesses the cheerful giver. Um and Pope Francis in this section, you know, it's interesting, they call it sin blinds us, because again, someone who's blind can't look someone else in the eye. So that's, that's part of what sin does, is it it causes us to look away. I, I, my grandfather was blind, and whenever you would talk to him, he never looked at you. He kind of looked away. It was almost like his ear was pointed to you or he would stare up at the ceiling um, or or just kind of stare off in a a strange direction. He wouldn't look at you. And um, and on a spiritual level, that's really fascinating to consider that, again, as we could become blind, we no longer look at the other and see Jesus. And, um, you know, Pope Francis says... Uh, talking of now the rich man, so we've discussed a little bit of Lazarus, now talking about the rich man, he says, in 
the rich man, we can catch a dramatic glimpse of the corruption of sin, which progresses in three successive stages, the love of money, vanity, and pride. And I would suggest to you that the three main um, the three main types of spiritual devotion that we're called to during Lent, namely almsgiving, fasting, and prayer, are the antidotes to these stages of uh, corruption. So the love of money, the antidote to love of money is in almsgiving. The antidote to vanity we see in fasting where we give up those things which um, which signify, are symbolic of we having arrived, as we having, um, we are now um, kind of moving up in the world. Vanity is a focus on oneself, seeing our dignity in things, and fasting is a giving up of those things and helping us to find our dignity elsewhere. And then, Prayer is the ultimate um, enemy of pride because in pride we proclaim our self-sufficiency whereas in prayer we proclaim our utter dependence upon another. And so we see these, these the antidotes for these um, three types or stages as the Pope says of the corruption of sin. I just want to talk briefly about each one. Uh, he says... There's the love of money. So we think of the love of money. Um, I have experienced that the poor are some of the most generous people that I have ever met. They, I, my yeah. most generous moment has oftentimes paled in comparison. I remember as a missionary going into houses of people who have a dirt floor, have dirt walls, no running water, uh, no electricity. They have one or two sets of clothes that are old and used. Uh, they have almost nothing, but they would spend the whole day preparing a meal for my family that wasn't even enough for them to participate in. And they would stand around the table. This has happened actually a few times and just watch us eat. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, our first year, I remember saying, I will not do this, please eat. But then I realized I was robbing them of the virtue of generosity. Hmm. And I've since learned to humbly accept because they seem to get that when they give to us, they're giving to Jesus. And, uh, and, since then, I always just, I, I try to be as thankful as possible. It still can be, um, you know, kind of a, a life-changing thing when you experience generosity like that. Because with the love of money, what we really mean is you protect what you love. You protect what you love. You love your children, you protect them. You love your wife, you protect them. Money becomes the same thing. As you get more money, then you have to spend money to protect your money. So now you need to insure the things you bought with your money and you need to have new forms of security to protect your money. And then you become suspicious, um, which Pope Francis mentioned that this love of money is the main cause of corruption and a source of envy, strife and suspicion. 
Because as you begin to have more, you also see more in others and you want it and you don't want them to have it. And strife as you begin to, I think of, you know, just uh, Black Friday, the strife mm-hmm. that comes about from people just trying to get mm-hmm. these deals. Um, you see the videos of fighting and, yeah. and, and things. And and suspicion, he talks about, this idea that you become suspicious of, uh, you know, these... You, you lose your money or something, you become suspicious of other people's, um, of other people. It's fascinating, Paul, the, or blessed Paul the VI, um, talks about uh, this idea that, um, uh, of, of connecting the cross of Christ with, uh, he says, um, Giving can become a participation in the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, it's the person who generally seeks to help his brothers and sisters, the person who accepts his share of the cross of Christ. And I, I think that oftentimes we forget that um, giving, and I just this is so important to me that, that this comes across to this podcast, that giving is not a service as much as a devotion to God. It's not a service. It's more than that. It's a devotion. It's the very way that we draw near to God in almsgiving. And I'm not talking about almsgiving, dropping your five or even your check into the basket Um, certainly that's a form of almsgiving, but I would say that it's a lesser form than encountering the person in need and turning your face to them and being present to them. There's something that changes you about that and that changes the other person that doesn't happen when you simply drop some money in the collection plate or the collection basket as it's passed around. Um, this this first step, the love of money, oftentimes I think people, the love word, they just, I don't love money. But we love the things that money buys us. And that's the same exact principle. As we love our things, the amount, you could almost say there's a ratio that would I would say that The more we love our things, the things that money, which money doesn't even exist. It's it's an idea. It's just a power to acquire. Mm -hmm. But as our love of, of these things grow, our generosity and love of others diminishes. And I, and I find that that's what makes it so difficult for the poor, for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, because oftentimes um, and we're going to talk about that. This the love of our things leads us to a type of vanity. The Pope says, and this vanity is a need. Now, once we have money, we begin to like the things it can do for us. We feel this need, if not um, an, a right, to have more than we need, to have better things. The watch I've had is no longer good enough. I need a better watch because I can afford it. 
I need a better pool, a bigger pool. I need a better car. I need a, and this vanity is a desire to show, he says, what one can do. So this was money, this attachment to money makes us blind to our neighbors. And then this vanity, the vanity begins to make us want to show off. We get attached to these symbols. Uh, it, talking about vanity, the Pope says, the vain man's personality finds expression in appearances and showing others what he can do. But his appearance masks an interior emptiness. His life is a prisoner to outward appearances to the most superficial and fleeting aspects of his existence. But this is oftentimes what our love of things leads us to, then our need to have better things, and we forget the dignity of living a simple life, of being poor. And when that is who Jesus chose to be, there's a great dignity just in, in poverty in itself because it was the very choice that Jesus made of his how he would live out his earthly existence. And so from love of money, the Pope leads us to vanity, seeking our dignity in things, and finally to the root of all evil, pride. And um, just interject yeah. there. Um, one, from my own experience, um, I always had trouble uh, identifying with this love of money um, sin because I like as you said it, most of us say well I don't love money and and I didn't consider myself rich um, I think it's it's interesting because rich is that word for us is a um, a comparison yeah and we can yeah. almost always yes. think of someone richer yeah, you than can, us you can. and so no, that person is rich, not me. Um, but I think, you know, before anybody turns this podcast off, we should say that, and I know this to be true for you, um, from what we have, obviously from the poverty that we've seen, we consider ourselves yes. personally to be yes. rich. And we, mm -hmm. we cast this same um, uh, critical eye on ourselves because... Even though, as a missionary, I've given away so much, um, and I don't have a lot of things, I am not in a situation ever where I can't get help, where where help isn't just a phone call away from just all of the contacts that someone grows up with in a wealthy society. Mm -hmm. um, I am blessed... You know, blessed or cursed with those, and in blessed certainly, but it is also, um, no matter what I do, no matter how many things I give away, there's always more. It's always it's still attention. It just by virtue of the my family history of the culture that I and society that I was born into. I have to constantly struggle against accumulation of yeah. of things and of wealth, and we just moved. Uh, we live out here on the, on the mission base, um, 
and and we send people out, out uh, all over the world. Um, I'm currently living here uh, down south of Abbeville, Louisiana, where our, our mission base is. And the, the single guys all live in one place, and we just moved uh, into a different trailer. And as we moved, we realized all of these things that we've accumulated. And we're like, where did this come from? We're supposed to be living this gospel poverty idea. And it's... Um, it's just it's a constant struggle. So I I just wanted to um, mention that that this is we are rich, and if 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 uh, we have to, um, I guess try to put ourselves in every position in these in mm-hmm. these things. But um, I think uh, you know I I wanted to express that. Um, this is a challenge for for us, and a, yeah, a very, um, very one we we take very seriously. And the, the Pope is all these popes. That's actually another point I wanted to. You keep going back to Blessed Paul the Sixth, and um, we could go we could go back further than him, and we can go forward. You know, this isn't just a Pope Francis thing. This isn't these things we're talking about. This isn't just a radical missionary idea. These are central mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. to what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to what it is to be a Catholic. Um, we go uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. We can talk about um, Pope Pius the Twelfth, Pope Pius the Ninth, Saint John the Twenty Third, Blessed Paul the Sixth. I don't know if. John Paul I had time to weigh in on it. Yeah, he was yeah. very short-lived. But um, Saint Saint John Paul II, um, Benedict the Sixteenth, and Pope Francis. You can find these things in all of their writings. And as we've discussed, uh, it's almost it's it's interesting in Saint John Paul II's writings, which were just he was prolific. Um, so sometimes it's you can get lost in all the different things he said because he was he was he said so many things but a very he was very strong in his language as was benedict in um talking about this idea that we must turn away from our wealth and turn to the poor mhm yeah and i think you know you make a good point most of sacred scripture most of the Catholic teaching on how to live our lives, I struggle with. Yeah. So let's just make that a caveat. <laughs> um, uh, certainly, if I tell you that, or I mention anybody uh, talking about, for example, gossip, um, I, will, I, I certainly haven't, I'm not free from that sin. Um, or if we were to talk about uh, any number of sins, we're not called to speak out once we're ready. We're mm-hmm. called simply to <laughs> yeah. speak out. So uh, that being said, when we what what the Pope then leads us into is this idea of pride, and pride really can be called a blindness to one's own poverty. And I think of um, Saint Augustine's "Man is a beggar before God." This idea that we ourselves are 
beggars. We are Lazarus to God. And when we recognize the reciprocality of that relationship, when we see that our relationship to the poor, in a certain sense, is a foreshadowing, or you might even say a physical sign of our relationship to God, uh, it brings to my mind, uh, I was reflecting, it brings to my mind this story from Matthew 18, which is, uh, I'd like to just read briefly. Um, and um, um, it says, this is a parable Jesus tells. It has a variety of names, but um, he's using it in the context of forgiveness. And he says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and he could not pay. His Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and besought him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me. And you, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus applies this story to forgiveness, but you could easily apply it as well to uh, generosity in general. So I I imagine that um, when we think of forgiveness as a debt that we owe, you know, we think of Jesus as forgiving us, God the Father forgiving us, uh, an eternal and um, unparalleled debt which we proclaim in the liturgy, which proclaimed in scriptures, uh, all Christians proclaim this, that we owe an unpayable, it's such a great debt to God. And yet he gives us, in our begging him, he gives us out of his generosity and mercy all that we need. And then we turn to our neighbor, and in a certain sense, God in our neighbor. And as we look at them, we are asked to give back. And the pride is when we choose or even we just become blind, as uh, it talks about sin blinding us. We, come, we come, become blind uh, to that fact of our relationship before God as a beggar. And then we no longer have the compassion on our neighbors. You know, um, 
I think of the I so often hear stories of well if I give to this or that person they're gonna they're not gonna use it the right way. Imagine going to confession and the priest saying, You've already come here before for that sin. <laughs> wow. Just forget yeah. it, you know, you're just gonna waste this on some you know, I I'm not gonna forgive Jesus doesn't need to forgive you because you've already like squandered this gift enough times. You know, imagine like the Lord saying that to us, and yet we have the pride to say the same thing so often. I have the pride that I have to remind myself and beg God to to gut me of, to say, well, I'm not going to help that. I know they're just going to spend it on, that's our way out. They're going to spend it on drugs or this or that. Which, by the way, I heard, you know, again, um, Timothy Gray made this great point that, uh, or a great idea. professor at, at the Augustine Institute? Yeah, I think right? so. Okay. I think so. And he um, he said, you know, struggling with that idea that his family chose that they just bought a few gift cards that they carry around his wallet so that if he meets somebody, he could just give without even worrying about where they're going to spend it. Uh, and if that's something you feel called to, you know, that, that could be a good thing. But I think, you know, one thing with the pride is like people I've noticed in my life, especially in missions, People who live in or have lived in poverty, in my experience, are generally more inclined to help others. Not always. You do have some people who just say, look, I did it. Someone else should have to do it. But oftentimes, um, you discover that people, some of our, our most generous benefactors and some of our most generous givers in mission... Uh, have been the poor. I remember when, when my son, um, my son Ezekiel, died our second year at missions. Uh, we had a seventh uh, child who passed away in 2014. Uh, he, the lo- these locals gave a, um, in all the villages we were serving, gave an offering, and people gave incredible amounts. Um, that they didn't even I, they they didn't even have this money to give, but they were willing to go without in order to, to give us uh, take up this collection to just show us their love. Uh, it, it it amazed us. Um, we didn't ask for it, and we felt slightly ashamed even to receive it. But again, that's the generosity that we've encountered with the poor. Um, <laughs> it's a good reason to get mixed up with them oh yeah like the that's um they the poor can teach us so much and if we're you know if we we make friends with them uh encounter them we have these opportunities to see things that we we wouldn't otherwise see um it's, it's amazing yeah you know we um father this Father Regame again, who just he has this great book um, that uh, I picked up. Dorothy Day recommended it in one of her writings, and it was written in the forties. But it's called "Poverty: An Essential Element in the Christian Life," and it's just uh, it's a beautiful uh, treaty. But it says um, he talks about the presence of the poor in any society is a call to that society to lower its standard of living. It could not have a clear conscience otherwise. 
for they will be a living reproach to it. And, you know, as we're moving through these three main sections, subsections of the Pope's Lenten message, we've gone from seeing the other person as a gift, especially the poor, um, because they open our eyes. They, They, first off, they relieve us. They give us an opportunity to let go of our worldly treasures. And in letting go of those, we we save up treasures in heaven, as Jesus recommends to us um, in the Sermon on the Mount. They bec- they are God's presence to our lives. So I mean, we can go and encounter the Eucharist, of course, um, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But they also are a presence of God um, in our lives and an opportunity for us to come out of ourselves they help to open our mind to recall our brotherhood and equality before God with the poor. And really, you could even say before death, uh, which is something that um, you know a number of the popes have talked about, this idea that we all die. We all have, there's an equality in death as there's an equality in life. And then finally, they remind us of our spiritual existence as beggars in need of God, so we move from the gift of the other to the blinding of sin and how the other opens our eyes. Is That's the true help that they offer is they open our eyes to what God has, open our eyes to God's word. And so the third part just kind of flows in. And this is the idea that the word is a gift. And Pope Francis says, The rich man's real problem, going back to the story of rich man and Lazarus, the rich man's real problem comes to the fore. At the root of all his ills was the failure to heed God's word, which is, uh, or or as a result, here he no longer loved God and grew to despise his neighbor. The word of God is alive and powerful, capable of converting hearts and leading them back to God. When we close our heart to the gift of God's word, we end up closing our heart to the gift of our brothers and sisters. And, you know, I've been astonished, I just have to say, since I've come back to the United States, at just the number of Christians and Catholics who seem to base all of their ideas upon the media, whether it be NBC or Fox News, whether it be talk radio or a late night show, uh, so often they are not listening to God's word. They're not basing their lives upon God's word. They're basing it upon something of the world, this worldliness. Mm -hmm. And Lent is an opportunity for us to step back and immense ourselves or immerse ourselves um, in God's word, and and I, I don't know if you want to add something to that. Well, maybe, yeah, just the, I think um, the, the Pope's words, and he may do it somewhere else, but you could invert them in a way. When we he says when we close our heart to the gift of God's word, we end up closing our heart to the gift of our brothers and sisters, and vice versa. When we close our heart to the gifts of our brothers and sisters, we're really closing ourselves to his word. Um, it's, and there's something you had mentioned, um, the word as, 
in the Gospel of John, the Word is God, you know, is the second person of the Trinity. And um, it's, I guess this all uh, comes back to kind of where we started, but the, this, the other person is a gift, um, and we, we need to be open to, to others, um, I think, well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know if that's I, I, what I want to say about it. But. You know, I think what's important as we, we've, as we kind of begin to wrap up the Pope's message is, well, okay, so where do we encounter his word? And I think it's important that the Pope ends here on the word of God as a gift. Um, but, but how do we as Christians, as Catholics, encounter his word? And I want to just point out three um, main ways that uh, certainly Pope Francis, but also um, the popes in general, and really sacred scripture, um, talks about how we encounter the Word of God. Um, so we see uh, the first way is the Word of God was made flesh in John 1.14. And that flesh is made present in the Holy Eucharist. As Jesus said, uh, this is my body. This is my blood. When we remember him in the Eucharist, it's actually making him present. So when, he's, when the priest brings um, through the words of the consecration, that remembrance is more than just reminding us that Jesus once lived, but it's rather making him present. And so we encounter God's presence um, as Jesus, the Word, was made flesh in the Eucharist, we also encounter this in um, the Word of God written down. I'm reading now from Dei Verbum, um, from the Second Vatican Council, and it says that sacred scripture is the utterance, or the Word of God, put down as it is in writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's in section 9. And the idea is sacred scripture is the word, the gift of God written down. So we have this second way of encountering God, not just about God, but literally encountering God in sacred scripture. And then finally, we have the word abiding in the world. And... Um, and this we see in the poor, but not just in the poor. Um, Pope Benedict quotes St. Bonaventure in De Ver or in Verbum Domini, um, proclaiming that we encounter the Word of God in all living things because they carry His presence, but in a special way in the poor. And, and I love this um, quote or not really a quote, but it's an anecdote from the life of uh, the, the philosopher um, Blaise Pascal. And um, I just love this, but he says, it says, Pascal, when he was dying and they took some time to bring him Holy Communion, Viaticum, 
He said that being unable to communicate with the head of the body, I wanted to communicate with the members. And to do this, it occurred to me to have a poor sick man brought in who was looked after as I was with no difference between us so that I could have the consolation of knowing that there was a poor man being as well treated as I was. This sense of the mystical meaning of the poor was one of the things um, that inspired as well um, St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, and we can go on with many saints, Mother Teresa, of course. But So the idea we encounter the Word of God, the gift of His Word, in the Eucharist, in sacred scripture, and in the poor. And I truly believe that this Lent, it's an opportunity for us to try and encounter Jesus in the th- in all three. Um, in partaking of the Eucharist or going to adoration, in reading more of the scriptures every day, in uh, getting into God's word, and in giving and knowing, encountering, entering the lives of the poor. I, I wouldn't want to try to sum it up better. I think those are, uh, yeah, three challenging and, and essential ways for us to to live out this uh, call of Pope Francis for this Lent and uh, the call of, of Jesus uh, in this in this time. Uh, I th- thank you for listening. Oh, we've got got one more point. I just want to end on this. So. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, say thank you for listening and thank you um, for bearing with us as we uh, figure out <clears throat> what we're doing here in this. I've never done a podcast before. I don't know if Jonathan has on, and I don't know if that was abundantly clear to you, but it may have been. And uh, if so, um, thank you for your patience and hope you join us next time I want to just end with the um, the end of the Pope's Ash Wednesday homily Okay. and um, I just think it's so beautiful and inspiring but he says and this is from this is from yesterday, yesterday okay. yeah 2017 Ash Wednesday <clears throat> Pope Francis says Lent is the time to start breathing again it's the time to open our hearts to the breath of the one capable of turning our dust into humanity. It's not the time to rend our garments before the evil all around us, but instead to make room in our life for all the good we are able to do. It is a time to set aside everything that isolates us, encloses us, and paralyzes us. Lent is a time of compassion, when with the psalmist we can say, Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Sustain in us a willing spirit, so that by our lives we may declare your praise. And our dust, by the power of your breath of life, may become a dust of love. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.